Welcome back to the Diet Doctor Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Brett Schur. Today I'm joined by Dr. Glenn House. Now, now Dr. House, as you're going to hear, is a pr pretty remarkable guy. He is the medical director at the Capron Neuro and Trauma Rehab Center in Colorado Springs. He's uh, board certified in physiatry, physical medicine, and rehabilitation, which is a specialty of medicine dealing with basically loss of function from brain injury, spinal cord injury, strokes, um, even Parkinson's. Um, people have lost function and need to rehab to regain their neuromotor function. Um, but as you're going to hear, he also is a patient himself. 30 years ago, he suffered a terrible accident, spinal cord injury, became a tetraplegic, which you'll hear him explain um, what that means for him. So it puts him in a very unique position to understand his patients better than any other doctor and help his patients. And one aspect that really wasn't getting the attention that he now knows it deserves is nutrition, and specifically nutrition to impact the metabolic health that deteriorates in spinal cord injury patients over time and nutrition that could potentially acutely help reduce the amount of inflammation and the amount of damage done from spinal cord injuries. There, this sounds like a very specific intervention, but it really has some broad-reaching potential um, for all neurological conditions. So it's, it's a really interesting topic to discuss. So I hope you en enjoy his, his perspective on this and our discussion on this, because it really could, it's sort of at the forefront of the research now, but has the potential to really expand and be pretty, pretty dramatic and pretty impactful. So um, it's, it's an amazing story. He's an amazing individual. And I, so I hope you enjoy this interview uh, with Dr. Glenn House. Dr. Glenn House, thanks so much for joining me on the Diet Doctor podcast today. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's, it's my pleasure. It's, it's truly an honor to speak with you. I mean, here you are, uh, a physiatrist, sort of at the top of your field as the, as the medical director of the Capron Neuro and Trauma Rehab Center in Colorado Springs. You're an entrepreneur with your own medical device company, um, and, but it's obviously been a journey to get to this point, but really your whole story kind of started about 30 years ago when you were skiing and had a severe accident and ended up as a spinal cord patient yourself. So walk us through that experience and how, you know, when someone's life, when your life just changes in an instant like that, um, what is it like and how do you recover from that? Well, yeah. So, um, obviously nothing, uh, that anyone, uh, plans, uh, you know, I was living life to the fullest. I was 20 years old. I was a junior in college at Texas A&M, uh, studying biomedical science with a plan to go on to actually dental school and, or, and be an oral surgeon, uh, doing some extreme skiing, uh, one, uh, Christmas break and, and I broke my neck, uh, left me with a fracture at the seventh vertebrae in my neck. I'm, I'm classified as a complete C7 tetraplegic, which is the same as a quadriplegic. Just now they use tetraplegia for the literature because Greek and Latin line up. So just, if I use the word tetraplegic, that's just, uh, it means the same. Uh, and that's because I have all four limbs involved at some degree. So I have my, I have my deltoids, my biceps, my triceps, but limited hand dexterity and then paralyzed basically from the chest down. So that's why, you know, that's, uh, you know, people wonder why I'm pushing around. I'm classified as a quadriplegic. So I'm the lowest level or the most functional level of a, of a, uh, uh, tetraplegic. Um, so yeah, so, uh, spinal cord injury, I did my, I took, a uh, obviously, uh, three months off a semester off. Uh, did my rehabilitation um, there at the University of Washington, I mean, University of Utah. And then I went back, did one month of outpatient and went right back to uh, college, finished my degree in biomedical science. 
and switched. Actually, I switched my uh, plans while I was in rehabilitation, had my book sent to me while I was there. So in between my therapy, I would actually study um, some of the um, uh, my physics and you know, physics and chemistry and started getting ready for the MCAT instead of the uh, dental exam. Uh, went back, graduated, got into medical school. Um, uh, actually, where I chose to go was the University of Washington in Seattle. Um, and I believe I was the first one to go through in a wheelchair. Uh, they were amazing about how they made accommodations for me. And, um, I, and uh, it really was a great experience. I, I mean, the way you tell that story, it almost makes it sound like it was it was no big deal. <laughs> and obviously it was. Yeah. And maybe that's my interpretation. But I mean, it's remarkable at how you were able to go through this devastating life event and have your books shipped to you and do your work and study for the MCAT. I mean, there's so much you need to relearn in life and rehab and adjust. And you were you were dedicated enough to just pick up your studies and change your career path, but keep moving forward. I mean, that that's remarkable in and of itself. So uh, I'm sure that experience that you had and your ability to re rebuild your life so quickly must help you now in your job and in, in dealing with your patients and relating to them and kind of encouraging them to help them build their life up. Yeah. And I don't want to make it sound like it was too easy. Um, it wasn't, I mean, there was those, uh, moments where you lose everything. Your life has totally changed. You, you left school, um, you know, walking across campus, you're going back in a wheelchair, you're, you know, happy. You just, you know, how to adjust how people are looking at you. And, and I mean, all those, all those things were in play. Um, but also I think I was so focused on what's next, what's now, you know, what, you know, and, and I knew, you know, this really, really, this really sucked. Uh, but there's nothing I can do about it. So let's move forward. What, what do I have to do and how can I continue with this, uh, you know, continue with life and make it the fullest. And, uh, and so, uh, when I deal, you know, I, so I, the interesting thing is I remember very vividly, you know, how I, how I felt, how I responded, um, the thoughts that went through my head and, and it doesn't mean I'm experiencing everything that someone else is experiencing, but at least I have that reference to be able to have a conversation with them and realize that, you know, we get used to, oh, it's just the next person with a spinal cord injury. It's the next person with a stroke. They've lost this function and that's just what we do. And it's really easy to just almost, you know, just become like, kind of like, uh, it's just, you know, when a factory, it's just people come through and it sounds cruel, but I actually have to really, you know, stop and think every time these people, everyone, not just the people have lost something, but everyone in their family, their friends, I mean, right. their life has changed. Well, how are they going to vacation? How they're, what they're going to live? You know, what they're going to make it, their house adaptive, how they're going to drive, all of those things. It's, it's, you know, it's pretty overwhelming. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so it wasn't easy, but it was easier, I think, for me because I was at a point where I could transition and make that pivot and, and instead go to medical school. And uh, then I really wanted to study something that, um, where I could know the most about me and what was going on in my body and my life. And so that's why I went into physical medicine rehabilitation, um, did my residency at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston. I did a spinal cord injury fellowship at the Kessler Institute down in New Jersey. Um, and then, um, so I have specialty, um, I'm board specialized in um, spinal cord injury also, in addition to, uh, in addition to rehabilitation or physical medicine rehabilitation. Uh, and also, you know, I took an interest in brain injury. So also uh, board certified in brain injury. And so, because we oh. deal with the strokes and the brain injuries and all of those conditions. 
Right. So it's not just traumatic injuries. It, it's stroke, it's multiple sclerosis, it's neurodegenerative disease. I mean, it, it's sort yeah. of all of these things combined, anything that's going to impact function from a neurologic standpoint. So it really is sort of multifaceted, which is interesting because the patient population for those is going to be so different. Um, the patient population for spinal cord injuries is probably going to tend to be younger. This patient population for strokes is going to be older. So you really are seeing sort of the spectrum. And I imagine each each person is going to deal with things much differently and their age and their family situation probably plays into that quite a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And and you're right. So the spinal cords would be the younger, the strokes would be older, but you would, you know, we just had a 30 year old stroke patient. I just, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we have some older spinal cord, which is even more difficult, you know, because they're dealing with not only just the aging and the weakness of that, but now you have to have this um, spinal cord injury on top of that with all the other stuff that's already going on with, you know, potentially bowel and bladder. And, um, but really anything that has to do with a functional loss is really kind of what I'm focused on with a right. special, special interest in spinal cord injury. Yeah. And it seems like there's also maybe two, um, periods of care. There's the acute care, just the, which is probably a lot to do psychologically and, and seeing how much function they can get back acutely and then getting them back to their life and sort of the longer term care, which you sort of already alluded to. Now, a big part of that is nutrition. How do people eat? But I, my guess is, and to correct me if I'm wrong, that that probably wasn't really taught very much or focused on much at all um, in your in your training. Is that true or is that just an assumption? Yeah, no, that would be 100% true and that would be zero. Um, I think yeah. that may be changing to some degree, but then the question is, what are we, you know, how are we teaching and what is the literature? And, um, and I just remember, you know, I mean, basically it's, you know, we just think, okay, you know, for, for example, with someone with a spinal cord injury, we just got to feed them. And we got to yeah. keep the protein up. We got to keep the calories up. We got to, you know, they're losing weight anyways because they're atrophying because they're not moving, and therefore you're seeing this weight loss. And um, so, you know, that's just the, uh, you know, the approach we take uh, still today. Yeah, and it brings up a great example that weight loss is not all the same. You know, weight loss is there healthy weight loss and so-called unhealthy weight loss. And if you're losing muscle mass, that's not necessarily the weight loss you want to see. But, but tell us now, walk us through this journey of how you developed an interest in nutrition and specifically how you developed an interest in low-carb nutrition. Yeah. So, um, I mean, nutrition really goes back to, for me, for grade school. I mean, I, you know, just being in sports and wrestling, I was, I was always kind of dieting then. I would actually, I know what it's like, believe it or not, I tell people this, and it's, it seems crazy to myself to even think about this, but when I was wrestling is kind of why I stopped when I got, uh, after, after high school is that, you know, I would actually go three days with, without eating. I mean, I had fasted for three days and that was when I was in grade school and junior high. And, um, you know, we got, and that's terrible. You shouldn't do that. Um, really, uh, at, for these kids that are growing, I mean, I would not recommend that for my kids. Um, so, um, but anyways, so I know what that experience is when people talk about fasting that first 24 hours, how hard that is. And then after that, it really is easy for that second or third day. I, I do know what that's, you know, like from that time period. Um, during, um, during uh, you know, all my life, I've always tried to eat healthy. Um, family always ate really healthy and had dinner together. And uh, when I got to, uh, when, you know, high school and, and junior high, I got into weightlifting and bodybuilding. And so I really focused on um, a diet then. I've actually found some of my old diets back from uh, when I wrote them down and watched how I carb loaded and not carb and got mm -hmm. out of, you know, went, you know, kind of almost like keto a little bit when you're cutting. And so, you know, I always did some of that, but then the whole not low fat kind of crave, you know, came along in the eighties and I went along with that. And so I always, you know, in med school, I actually lived alone and 
um, would have someone just come in in the morning and help with some things for about an hour. But I would go to the grocery store myself and I would basically get lean cuisine and I would get all these low fat and low fat dressing and everything tastes terrible. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I, but I did that. And so that's how I lived until right around about say six years ago, I was kind of following that low fat, um, um, you know, uh, diet. And recommending it for your patients too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Low fat, low, you know, um, trying to eat as yeah. healthy as possible. Uh, so what, of course what I, happened six years ago that, that changed things? Well, that, that was a pretty dramatic, uh, change. So my, uh, my brother-in-law who was, you know, always kind of on some diet and, and, um, with, you know, success and then not success and really came to me and saying, would you check out this, you know, this low, basically, a, um, a higher healthy fat, low carb diet. And so, um, cause he, uh, um, made a, a significant dramatic change. And I was like, how is he keeping this off? This is, yeah. I've never seen this happen before. And, 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 and he's eating pretty good. He's eating a lot. Um, and so I looked into that and at that point it was kind of before the keto was kind of, we were, you know, it was kind of the paleo and that's how it was introduced to me. So I started really starting studying that and I love, you know, studying the nutrition anyways. And so it was an easy, uh, it was an easy investigation. Um, so I realized there's, there's definitely some literature here. There's some, I think the first thing I started out with was, uh, Gary Tubbs, good calories, bad calories. Mm -hmm. I think everyone kind of dives into that big, thick Bible with a lot of, um, science to it. Um, and so I think that's where the journey took me. Um, uh, and then I said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to actually try this out and, I, but I want to know, um, based on what I'm seeing, it looks good. I want to know what the, what the numbers are actually showing. Yeah. So there's a key thing here is, is how spinal cord injuries, and I can get to that a little bit later if you'd like, but spinal cord injuries have certain characteristics that change after spinal cord injury. And particularly mine followed right along with that, eating as healthy as I possibly can, trying to get exercise when I could, you know, going out and pushing and doing a lot of exercise. My HDL, and this is the pattern you see in spinal cord injury, my HDL was extremely low, like high risk for cardiovascular disease low. My triglycerides were high, at, also at risk. Uh, my LDL was not bad. My my cholesterol not not that bad. You know, within you know high end of normal, but it was everything was uh, that HDL and, and triglycerides was just looking like a disaster. Yeah. How about your blood sugar? Do you remember like blood sugar A one C insulin? Yeah, A one C. It's always been in that um, you know kind of around that five point five, five point four. Okay. Um, five point, yeah. you know, right around there. And so I've always stayed pretty healthy. I never really checked my blood sugar beyond that. And, but I, except for when you go in for the annual blood draws and you get your, you know, you get your chem seven or your BMP, your basic metabolic profile, and yeah, yeah. you have the glucose there. And it was always, it was always normal. It's a fasting glucose. And that is also characteristic of spinal cord injury is that that may be normal, even though you're right. not necessarily with the hemoglobin A1C being even elevated. But, um, um, you know, I did that for 16 months. So I said, I'm going to, I don't know. I just kind of got into it and time got away. I don't know why I went 16 months, but I went 16 months. I checked my, um, so I started out in the twenties with my HDL. All right. So you, you know, you'd like to be in the forties, fifties. Uh, and I went and I basically jumped up to about, uh, I think it was about, uh, low to mid fifties. So wow, from twenties nice to fifties, but that's nothing impressive. except for changing my diet and my yeah. triglycerides dropped significantly to, um, to low, almost low. Um, so my, my, so now my, 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 my biomark markers that if you took it to a cardiologist like yourself and said, you know, what do you think about what I did? And like, I don't know what you did, but just keep doing it. Right. right. I mean, because you look at my HDL just shot up and my triglycerides went down, but it was basically just 
eating healthy, high fats, moderate protein, and low carbohydrates. And when I say low carbohydrates, I initially started out not low, not that low, but around 100 grams per day. And then gradually over time, I'm kind of shooting to around more like 60 to 80 was my goal. And I kind of did it gradual. And I shoot for around 50 grams of carbs per day now. That's kind of my goal. And a lot of times it's lower. Um, And then, you know, maybe have my little, um, my kind of, uh, you know, I call it the blow it, blow it mill. I mm-hmm. blow a day, but I really don't, can't do a day. It's one meal of uh, like, mean? okay, what am I going to have that burrito and those chips and all, you know, and just like pizzas. And, uh, you know, I still, you know, will do that like once a week just to keep, you know, you know, that I'm not losing all of that, uh, that, uh, you know, that, that, that guilty eating. Yeah. So it's interesting. So many people, some people for them, that would just set them off on a, on a course that they don't want to be on just a spiral. And some people can bounce back and forth without a problem. So it's nice to see for you that you're in that, that you're in that category. Yeah. The one thing about that though, the one thing about that is I feel, I think why I can easily bounce back is I feel terrible. I mean, (laughs) I get, I get, I mean, it really, (laughs) I know I'm going to feel terrible. Um, I mean, I just feel sluggish. I can feel that sugar going up. I can just feel that, that insulin trying to rush that sugar back into my cells and I get it. And so it's, yeah, it's an easy uh, transition back to uh, eating healthy. And so it shows how powerful that draw can be that even though, you know, you're going to feel terrible, you still want to eat it. It shows it's a powerful draw for sure. Yeah. But so let's rewind for a second though. You said that's sort of the, the characteristic finding in spinal cord injury patients that the HDL is very low, the triglycerides are very high. So why do you think that is, or why does the science explain that that is? Yeah, this is, uh, this is pretty remarkable. Um, as I've also dug into this, I really got into, you know, cardiovascular risk in people with spinal cord injuries and it's not just spinal cord injuries. It's also, there's some characteristics like strokes and some, you know, just people with immobility, but specifically spinal cord injury. As soon as that spinal cord injury happens and, uh, you know, and, and you're not ambulatory anymore, uh, there is a dramatic loss in, um, and we talked about weight, but a lot of it's atrophy and muscle atrophy. Mm-hmm. And uh, specifically the, uh, you, you get a, you know, a, anywhere between a, uh, somewhere in the 45 to about 80 percent of the, um, of that cross-sectional area of the muscle, it, it deteriorates in the areas that aren't contracting. And when you lose that, you also get some other characteristics. You get basically an infiltration of uh, more of fat in that area. So in those muscles, so you're losing the muscle tissue, you must losing the cross-sectional area, you're getting more fat in there. And then, and then throughout the entire body, you get this adipose. So this fat throughout the body, it can be central um, obesity type of things, which, uh, you know, have been shown to, with this this, um, adiposity to this adipose tissue, this fat tissue, to just to secrete more of these cytokines um, and getting a little more detail, but interleukin-6 and tumorcrosis factor alpha. And then that is inflammatory. And then it works on the you know, on the liver and, and, uh, and, and the, um, and, uh, putting more factors out that are going to, uh, lead to, you know, vascular inflammation. So it's, um, it's, there's been studies actually where they did functional electrical stimulation to those muscles that are paralyzed and they showed an improvement in that insulin resistance. So, uh, but you, you can't, you know, people, all people with spinal cord injuries can't be doing functional electrical stimulation with an exercise bike with electrodes and all the time. Um, and, uh, and then if you stop, it goes away. Um, and so it's, uh, it's very important that you can control this 
you can get that same response with with uh, with uh, dietary changes. And you're yeah. not going to people with spinal cord injuries like myself. I can't get my heart rate up to a level that you'd want to get up to be healthy. And so I can't exercise myself to health. I have to eat myself to health. I mean, I really have to focus on that. And for me to be showing insulin resistance, and that's kind of where I was getting at, is that I actually have been doing that recently. I've been monitoring that. So I've this has just opened up Pandora's box where I've just gone, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, discovering more, reading more, and then looking at myself that I really got into looking at um, kind of biohacking, biomarkers, watching what I'm doing. So I, I wear most of the time, not all the time, but a lot of times I'll wear a continuous glucose monitor um, yeah. where I can put little things stuck in my arm or I can sc scan with my iPhone and I can know what my blood sugars are. Um, I also you know, follow a lot of my inflammatory markers that aren't the normal things you get when you go to the physician. Um, my homocysteine's were high, which is not uncommon under with people with um, spinal cord injury, but um, the response that people with spinal cord injuries and myself uh, specifically, that you get to a glucose load or a normal, it normally wouldn't be um, something that would throw up your sugar as much in, in, without a spinal cord injury does. So if I, I've actually done an experiment where I, I eat different things, like I'll eat grapes or I ate grapes and I grant bananas. And I, I mean, grapes for me was, uh, I was shocked. It was a quarter of a cup of grapes and my sugar went from fasting right around say like 85 or 90 to about 160. Yeah. Uh, it was just this ramp up. I did it with bananas. I did it with blueberries and blueberries were the best. Uh, grapes were absolutely, sh were, were just sugar. Um, yeah. So I, that's the last time I had a grape. Um, <laughs> and uh, Well, it's interesting. You really are, you really have sort of painted the picture of the, the perfect setup for insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome, but not something that everybody would think of looking at a patient who is, who's thin, but if their muscles aren't using glucose because they're paralyzed and atrophied and they're like the extreme of the tophi, the thin on the outside, mm -hmm. fat on the inside, because they have the adipose deposits. And then once you get the fat in the muscles, that is the absolute setup for insulin resistance. But my guess is that that's not a very common consideration for spinal cord injury patients. And you're probably on the forefront of people talking about this. I think I think that uh, there's some really good uh, people out there doing studies, um, um, particularly a gentleman who's well known named Bauman um, out in the literature, um, uh, and he's he's described this quite a bit. Um, um, I think in general, I think the um, you know the, the spinal cord population, um, it's I think they're still yet they're still all nervous about going at it with a high fat low carb diet. It's still the recommendations still are low fat. Um, you know, of course, I think everyone would agree with eat your, eat your, you know, eat your vegetables, get your carbs there, your complex, you know, vegetables. Um, um, you know, I, I try to not eat more than one fruit a day, but I think the spinal cord population needs to be focused on this at, at more than anybody. Um, yeah. and, and people with limited, uh, limited ability to move. I mean, you just think about your, my entire body. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, literally probably three fourths of my muscles in my body are not even contracting. And so they're not utilize, they're not there to utilize that burn and utilize and store that, that, that glucose, that glycogen. So what I normally eat and you guys, all, everyone that can walk around, you know, utilizing that throughout their whole body, you know, I don't have that ability. So it's easy to understand why it goes up and, and it gets worse and worse and worse with time after mm -hmm. spinal cord injury. 
Yeah, so I can see how that that definitely would be a challenge, especially if it continues to progress over time. Um, but maybe not everybody's addressing it uh, the way it should be addressed. But but talking to a spinal cord injury patient about nutrition, I'd imagine is very challenging in the beginning because there's so much they need to change. And you could talk about depression and just mm -hmm. how much life has changed to talk about nutrition, I'd imagine is pretty challenging. So do you find you have to have that discussion like later on in their in their progress or do you, do you still try and have it right away to get them educated about it? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, for the younger population, I think it's, it is kind of a, uh, you, you know, you're right. They've, they've lost a lot and you're going to take something else away. I really don't usually address it so much at that point unless I find out they're, you know, they're insulin resistant already or diabetic. I actually address it a lot with my older population, the people that are coming in with strokes and the people that yeah. are coming in uh, with other, and, and I'm identifying them as new diabetics or, or you can tell they're insulin resistant on their way anyways. Um, one of the, one of the things I will say when you, when we talk about like, where, where's it going with spinal cord injury, I think some amazing research has been um, being done at, uh, it's actually called iCord. Um, so iCord.org, it's up in British Columbia. And there's, I spoke with actually the director up there. His name is, um, get his name right. It's Wolf, Wolf uh, Wolfram uh, Tesloff. He's an MD, PhD. He's the director of that. And he's done some amazing um, studies on ketogenic diet and spinal cord injury and um, alternating basically every other day fasting. So he's so what he showed and he initially did it in mice is that they, when he gave, you know, the spinal cord injury and they gave them a ketogenic diet, um, you know, a high fat compared to a standard diet, they had a significant improvement of a of their cervical spinal cord injury, their motor return of their upper extremity on the ketogenic diet. And that, that is basically, they're describing that. It's in, in plenty of places in the literature where it's describing that ketogenic diet or ketosis as neuroprotective. So it's actually decreasing the, you know, having some inflammatory um, effects on the spinal cord. That was followed up with, and he helped, I believe, in collaboration at the at um, University of Alabama in Birmingham, where they did actually on patients with spinal cord injuries. So they they did a pilot study and they um, they took um, individuals and they did some every other day fasting, and they also did um, a, a high fat, low carb ketogenic diet with 75 to about 80 percent fat. They also identified that they had, uh, and they looked at biomarkers also but they had an improvement in uh, neurological recovery. So at least, and that's being expanded. Those studies are being expanded, but that's, that is where this should be going. I mean, we, in the, it, really in the spinal cord injury uh, population, we should be stop everything. Stop, you know, I mean, let's just figure this out. Let's study this like crazy. Let's, let's get some objective data. We've got, especially when in, with these patients, uh, you have them kind of, you know, in a, in a group in an isolation, it'd be, it'd be very easy to uh, to do to show, and I think there that's progressing. So I think that's that is changing, um, you know, as we speak. Yeah, I think that that's the most fascinating area um, of of ketogenic diets. I think in, in in neurologic function and in spinal cord injury or strokes. I mean, there's the longer term metabolic dysfunction that we've been talking about, but now you bring up this part, and this is what's so fascinating: like the anti-inflammatory component or of ketones or you know, knowing that the brain can utilize ketones differently than glucose is the same true for spinal cords or, you know, hard to mm -hmm. know exactly what the mechanism is, but just the fact that, that a ketogenic diet, like you said, can decrease the amount of injury that occurs to the spinal cord um, and that's been shown in the brain. So 
Um, I, I think you're right. I mean, this deserves a ton of attention because let's face it, there's not a whole lot else that has been used or shown promise really, is there? Yeah, so that's an interesting thing is we focused back in the uh, in the 80s, there were some studies where they use methylprenicillin, high dose steroids. And I remember I was 1990, I had my spinal cord injury, I'm laying in bed and on the news that study comes out saying, oh, steroid, high dose steroids and spinal cord injury, basically you're not gonna have a spinal, you know, you're gonna be cured. And I, that's how I came across, of course, on the news. Okay. Well, as I got further into my, you know, medical school and residency and then my internship, we that actually came came back around and it was published in the Journal of Trauma where it said methylprenicillin, an inappropriate standard of care. That uh, was the standard of care when someone came in with spinal cord injury. It is no longer the case. In fact, they showed that he had more complications, more myopathies, you know, problems with the muscles and, and, and different types of infections because of the high dose of steroids and glucose. And so instead, we were trying everything we could at that point. We should be trying everything we can, whether it's ketone, whether it's ketogenesis, you know, from a from a high-fat high diet, low-carb diet, if it, whether it's a whether it's you know ketone salts, whether it's you know right. you know whether it's uh, every other day fasting, all those things should be looking at, you know, how do we get that ketone level to be neuroprotective? But I think it's difficult because you're talking about these people that were so ingrained to think we got to pump them full of calories and this, you know, on top of that, and you can keep those glucose and get all that up. Now we're saying. Now we're going to basically starve them for a day. I mean, the the, the whole paradigm shift of, of thinking about this um, is a very difficult thing. I mean, can you imagine trying to, I mean, I bet they had a hard time passing that by the IRB, the internal review board at uh, where they did it. So hats off to them. Yeah, it is remarkable how it's a complete 180 degree turn. But I mean, you can see, you could see why there could be a difference, right? High dose steroids, powerful anti-inflammatory, but high glucose and feeding them whatever you want, compare that to a potential anti-inflammatory with low glucose and a different type of fuel mm -hmm. with ketones and a different anti-inflammatory with ketones. So you can see how that could be totally different uh, and really exciting. And that, I guess that goes along with some of the evidence we have that it may, that ketones may benefit um, cognitive impairment and Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and traumatic yeah. brain injury. And we don't have, you know, randomized controlled trials and throngs of evidence, but we have, we have non-controlled studies. We have small pilot studies. There is evidence to show that at ketones, either nutritional ketosis or even exogenous ketones has some neuroprotective benefits. So um, why not study it more? And are you starting to see more people interested? I mean, you've mentioned two, one in British Columbia, one in Alabama. Are there, are there more universities doing trials on this that you're aware of? Yeah, I'm not, um, I'm not aware of everything that's going on right now. Um, I know yeah. they're expanding the study they're, they're, they were doing there. I don't know how far they are along that. I mean, I did look at that and they were still, you know, the, where I looked it up recently, they were enrolling. So um, I, I'm, you know, very, you know, very excited about what the future is. I think this is clearly, uh, there's clearly a, enough data to say there's a benefit of it. I think there's yeah. two, there's two ways to look at this. Also, it's acutely, so it's acute spinal cord injury, acute brain injury, acute, you know, all those, those acute injuries to per, to protect and be neuroprotective and have less damage, and 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 stop that stop that cascade that happens of the. Uh, the inflammation and all those cytotoxins that are coming in damaging. So you have the damage itself. You have the, the blunt damage or the lack of blood supply, you know, whatever that damage is. And then what really damages things is all the inflammatory markers that inflammatory right. cytokines and all these things that come in 
because of the, when they see damage and when they see damage, they're bringing in stuff that is damaging further. So that's right. kind of where that, that ketosis and that neuroprotective anti-inflammatory effect to stop that cascade happens. Then I think the second part of that is longevity. So my whole focus right now, I think when I hit, I'm 51, when I hit 50, I think really things changed where it's like, oh, I got to start really, really focusing. And I had before, but I'm really focused on longevity and spinal cord injury. And what do we need to do? What are those things that, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into that, but it is pretty well known that after about 20 to right about that 20 year mark, something seems to change in spinal cord injury to where there are more and more problems happen. And, mm -hmm. and we also know, and I'm not saying this is exactly related, but there probably is a lot to be related is that, that, you know, after a duration of spinal cord injury, this insulin resistant component gets worse yeah. and worse and worse and worse. And then, you know, and so, you know, I was just shocked uh, uh, when this was happening to myself. We have no family history, no one with insulin resistance and, or any kind of di any diabetes. And here I am, you know, I think I'm probably eating and acting as healthy as you can. And I'm starting to see that if I wouldn't have intervened. And, you know, and also I did, you know, trying to be proactive about um, longevity. I also did in my calcium arteries, you know, score um, um, and it was zero. Um, okay. And so I think, so whatever I've been doing for the last six, seven years at this high fat diet leaves my, at least has left my cardiovascular score, uh, you know, uh -huh. as good as it can get. But that would make sense because now my HDL is low. My, my HDL is high. My triglycerides are low. My you know, uh, you know, so I'm eating that healthy diet, um, where my markers look great. Yeah. So knowing what you know now, is there any question in, in, in your mind, if you knew then what you know now, would you have started a keto diet day one after your spinal cord injury? Oh yeah, absolutely. And here's the other thing. It, it tastes great. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, I really, really, I mean, if the, wherever the science leads me, I'll follow, right. I mean, if they come out tomorrow and it is slam dunk, there is no question that this certain kind of bread, is the healthiest thing in the world. Oh, I'll just be, I'll just be ordered by the truckloads, but that's not the case. Um, and here's the great thing about the ketogenic diet or just high fat, higher fat, low carb is that it tastes phenomenal. So putting away those salad dressings that say no fat with a lot of high sugar, and then, and then bringing in this, this high fat taste. I might just had it today. I had a big old salad. It's just, just dumping the salad dressing on there or the, you know, the olive oil. And it's just, you know, it just, it tastes fantastic and the recipes yeah. on diet doctor are just unbelievable you look at that web i mean i look at that website and i just i'm just start i just get mouth start water and i start looking at some of that stuff great and it's really good to be able to, and let me let me say that too is i used to you know basically have somebody that i wanted to talk about what are they going what are they going to do how are we going to intervene i would say yeah. well read this book and that but you know that's not going to happen right i mean but now i can say look you go to this website and, I, and then I want you to come back and I want to report to me and we want to talk about it. And I want to, I want you to, you know, I want to look at your numbers and then I want you, and that's how I, I, I guide them through that. And I say, I want you to intervene. I want you to start looking at that. And I want you to, and I start out, I, you know, I don't go right to 20 carbs. I mean, I do kind of gradually get them down. That's just yeah. how I do it. But I want to shoot, you know, try to get them around the, if they're not, you know, a type one diabetic myself, I don't, you know, I'm not, I know people are, but I'm not, I don't, I'm not comfortable with that, but if someone's right. insulin resistant or type two diabetes, I clearly start doing that. And I even do it in the hospital. When people come in, um, I'll start changing their diet. Like the diet they get in the hospital 
I, I mean, and this is throughout the United States, but the diet they get in the hospital, you almost have to get out of the hospital to, to really be kind of healthy. I mean, their sugars are going up because they're, they are allowed 60 carbs. It doesn't matter what they're eating. They can have toast as long as they're staying on that 60 carbs per meal, yeah. per meal. So they, and then they get a snack at night for another 10 and, um, and that's the type two diabetic. And I started saying, no, you know what, we're going to just, we're going to go to 30 carbs a meal. And that, you know, so we're at, we're now at a hundred and it is unbelievable how their insulin starts going down because they'll usually they're on like, say they're metformin and they're on insulin sliding scale, or they're on, maybe on some Lantus. A lot of times we're able to completely get rid of the Lantus. And then they're usually not even needing the sliding scale and the metformin is doing it alone. They're diet controlled. They feel better. Um, it's just, that's rewarding. That's a fast turnaround. Yeah. And again, opposite of what usually happens. I mean, cause that, that's impressive that you can have that type of effect on someone who's hospitalized and maybe not even in the mental position to really address their diet. But I, I see it so often that people come into the hospital, either not on insulin or on a certain dose of insulin and they leave on insulin or on a higher dose of insulin mm -hmm. because they've been fed so much glucose and sugar. And we just say, Oh, we can just control that with more insulin. It's just, it's such backwards thinking that fortunately I think is, is starting to wear away a little bit and people are starting to see, but I'd imagine in your field, um, where maybe people aren't as in concerned about nutrition, are you starting, do you see like you're starting to get pushback or people started to think like, what is this guy doing? And kind of think you're doing it the wrong way. Yeah, I, I did initially, um, yeah. um, uh, but I think people have, have seen the results. Um, yeah. And I know that, like you were mentioning, when they come into the hospital, a lot of times it's, you know, for for various reasons. I mean, maybe they can't eat or they can't eat, so they can't take their pills. But most people, uh, a lot of times they'll just take them off their orals or they don't have that particular oral medication. So they put them on the insulin and they come to me and then I try to figure out where they should be. Um, I have a lot, there's a lot of our therapists, you know, and, and that, uh, cause I work on the, on the rehab unit. A lot of our therapists are actually keto or low carb. And, um, so, you know, I have my chance to, um, in fact, I have a little, um, a little baggie there with some, some keto creamer. One of the, one of the speech therapists just brought me and said, try this. And, you know, so, um, I think that's nice camaraderie. Um, also, uh, this particular speech therapist really also, um, and, and, you know, is seeing a lot of people with neurogenitive problems or cognitive problems and, and, um, you know, and, uh, embracing that and, and helping, uh, explore that. Um, yeah, I did get some, I did get some initial pushback from, uh, you know, one of the diabetic educators when I tried to take people to 30 from 60 and, um, and, and, you know, saying you cannot reverse type two diabetes or you can't improve it. And, um, and, um, and so, uh, you know, but, but, uh, now we have, we have a new one. So she's, uh, <laughs> she's open to my, I sat down with all the nutritionists and, uh, uh, dietitians and, um, and the diabetic education. I, I, and, you know, so I, I say, here's my bias, uh, you know, and I tell people my bias when I start. Yeah. So, um, you know, I say, you may, you're going to hear different things from different people, but I want you to educate yourself. Um, so I think that's really important too. Yeah. Cause I don't great. have all the answers. I don't have the diet that everyone needs to follow. I don't think, you know, I think it's always individualized. Right. And that's a great point. That's a great point. I think one of the reasons we talk so much about low carb diets and keto diets is because no one else is talking about them, right? Or, right. or in, the, in certain situations, they're even being told to specifically avoid them. And that's why I think it's so important to talk about, but you're absolutely right that there isn't one diet for everybody and it might not work for everybody. Mm -hmm. Although if it was the one intervention that showed, you know, reduction in spinal cord injury or stroke 
you know, stroke volume of, of brain tissue involved, that would be a different story. Then you're talking about a, a medical intervention. So that would be very interesting to see data uh, about that. Um, if that's yeah, I don't, coming, I, hopefully. I don't know of any other studies that showed this particular diet intervention caused this neuroprotection and improved yeah. outcome. So I right. say that I'm not aware of any other diet that did that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now getting back to your personal story a little bit, because, you know, 30 years later, it doesn't sound like it slowed you down much. I've read stories about how you're still skiing, how you're mm. how you with your, in your wheelchair, and your friends are climbing fourteen thousand foot peaks. Um, so I'm curious, what have you noticed about your performance um, athletically and physically since you've altered your diet? Oh yeah, so that's a I think that's an important thing I need to talk about. Um, so there's one thing that I did to raise money for brain injury. It's a something called the Pike Speak Challenge. Um, so it's basically climbing Pikes Peak in Colorado Springs. We started 13 and a half miles down from the top and we climbed about 7,000 feet during that time. I used a um, uh, particular uh, power assist, uh, you know, push wheel. So it's kind of like if you were to uh, think about this, if you're to climb a, um, that big of a mountain in, with a one speed versus a mountain bike, you know, you could, it'd be almost impossible with the one speed. Uh, right. But with the mountain bike, you're still pedaling. It's still hard. It, it, and, um, but you could, you could more easily do it. So it's kind of, you know, so that's kind of an analogy of what I was using the technology. I used my same chair, just some different wheels. Um, and it took me, uh, so I did, I've done it six times. Um, I, I did it when I, last year when I turned 50, because a lot of things, the reasons I want to do it, I was never going to do it. I told my wife, I think uh, three times, I'm never going to do it again. And uh, <laughs> I really am serious this time. But um, what, what um, I've done, you know, it takes me, took about eight hours in the past. Um, and I always glucose load. So I, I train all summer and then, you know, I get those packets, go to REI and I've got those little glucose packets and squirting them out. And you would just go, 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 go. And then crash, 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 go, 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 crash, crash. And so that's what I did all those years. And, you know, it took eight hours. I'd have to stop. I'd have to, we'd have to take breaks. And, um, and then, so when I turned 50, I'm like, okay, I got this these, uh, these new kind of Yamaha wheels. That's cool. I've got, um, I just turned 50 and I want to do it in ketosis. And so I really explored that. Um, I learned a lot from the book, um, uh, the low carb, the art and science of low carb performance. There's, I think there's eating and then there's performance or lifestyle and then there's performance. Yeah. So I looked at performance. I learned as much as I possibly can. I reached out to as many people as I could. Um, and I watched a movie on diet doctor where those, those, um, there's two married couple that uh, they rode for somewhere they from like California to Hawaii and they right. did it in ketosis. And right. I was encouraged by that. Um, although I can't tell exactly what they're eating. So I really researched this and I, and I trained in ketosis. So I didn't just say, I'm just going to be ketotic and go. So I trained all summer in ketosis and, and the endurance was unbelievable. The, when uh, normally I'd be going around my, you know, and I might come in exhausted. And the first time I even went out and did my, you know, three and a half mile loop up some hills, I, my wife said, I came in and I'm like, I feel great. And it was, it was shocking. And so I did it. And uh, my daughters went with me and they, they, we, we would stop just every mile, just enough, uh, almost every mile, but every mile to check my, uh, my oxygen saturation, my heart rate, my glucose and my ketones. So I had kind of a pit stop and then one daughter would be checking vitals. The other one would be checking uh, that. And so, and I had my hands all wrapped up, just massive, massive, uh, you know, tape and everything and, and gloves and skin was off my hand when I got to the top, but I knocked two hours off my time. 
Uh, I was always in ketosis the entire time. I started out at 1.1 ketones at 1.1. I was always in that range of somewhere probably around 0.8 to uh, 1.4 while I was going up. Um, I never stopped uh, except for those short breaks to check that. Um, I did a I did a kind of a keto shake uh, load in the morning, um, some high fat um, and cream and some, you know, just mix it with shake. I had some shakes that I actually uh, drank on the way up. I had some nuts. I had just, I mean, I just, I, you know, I, I fat loaded instead of carb loaded. I fat loaded the whole way yeah. and it was unbelievable. The next day uh, I was usually just dead. Uh, I felt like I hadn't even done anything. It was, it was just amazing. The endurance from a, um, uh, you know, when you're burning, your body is keto adapted. So I'm burning, I'm used to burning fatty acids as my fuel and it's super efficient. That's, that's a remarkable story. What an improvement. So I think, I think it's clear as, as we both said that there's no one diet for everybody, but I think it's clear you found the right diet for you from a, from a taste standpoint, a metabolic standpoint, a performance standpoint, you're definitely hitting it on, on all points there. So that's fantastic. And being an advocate for the diet with your patients to help them in the right ways, both acutely and chronically. And now talking about the research that's happening and hopefully we'll be seeing more of down the road. So yeah. uh, thank you so much for, for joining us and sharing your story. A- any last words or anything else you want to leave our, our listeners with um, on, on this topic? Uh, no. Well, I think the last thing would just, I appreciate you, you what you do and your and, and diet doctor and the website and the resources you have. Um, I really enjoy all the movies you had on there. So it's, it's, um, but it's a great resource. I mean, it really is doing a lot um, to, you know, for the health and longevity of our patients and, uh, you yeah. know, and no one else was doing it. So I, I really appreciate the uh, one and the opportunity to do this and tell my tell a story and how I use it and also for what you guys do. So I appreciate yeah. it. Well, thank you. And you're definitely an inspiration in how you lead by example um, in so many aspects of your life. So, so thank you and, and keep up the great work. Really appreciate All right. it. Thank you very much.